0: Welcome back to the Black Letter podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in a regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said black letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify black letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, this is Tom Dunlap for the Black Letter Podcast. And this is our 50th special edition, 50th episode recording. I'm saying hi to you from my home. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Thank you for watching and listening. And for guests who've joined me on the Black Letter podcast over the last 50 successful episodes, our viewership and listenership has grown exponentially. And uh, I hope that it grows more and I hope we do more fun and exciting things. Enjoy the 50th episode. I think you'll find it fun. What we did is we took the three, the top three that I do at the end of every show. We took all of those and we pressed them into one one episode here. So you're going to be able to get the top three tips from professional football player, Hall of Fame football player, to professional marketing, Mo Bunnell, to musicians, to the CEO of a, a billion-dollar company. Uh, we're going to get everybody's top three in business and law and what they need to know. So, thanks again for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the show. So, I, I want to ask, Mo, what are the three things, if you could? If, so, you know, we have to come up with the three things that we're about. Yeah. What are the three things that lawyers, or accountants, or professionals should think about, in your view, from from the snowball system or from whatever? The three yeah. most important things that you should take away from, if if they sit through your entire course and they walk out, and there's three they forget. Everything but three things. What are those things? Or two or four or whatever.
1: No, I, there's a lot of power in threes. People believe things yeah. in threes more and they remember in threes. So you're onto it. Um, there's a study called when, when three charms but four alarms. It's really awesome. <laughs> so the three things. We'll go with the three. I love it. That's what we've got. Well, and I'll, and I'll say this with a sort of a, a preface in front of it. We've got a whole course that's free that's built around these three things I'm going to tell you. And it's okay. at meatyhabits.com. I know you know about it. Yeah, D for business, D for development, bdhabits.com. Anybody can sign up and they'll get a six-part series of that me talking through these three things with job aids,
0: posters. I mean, it's really phenomenal. I support you and I love it. And I've I've tried to make most of the lawyers in the firm watch it. Yes, know they're actually watching it. I don't know how many have signed up, um, but I've I've heard a lot of people have signed up, you know. Yeah. So. So I love it. I'm, I, I promote I promote it. So three things. Yep. What are they? Yes. Yeah, so this is it. So I had to say
1: that. So we've got a call to action, right? Hopefully people sign up at bdhabits.com. So the three things are, we need to get, as experts, we need to be really good at managing our opportunities, really good at managing our relationships, and really good at managing ourselves. So on the opportunity, the week, in the course, in the free course, we go through the exact steps that human science tells us we need to go through to get a Yes. And there's four major or five major steps. So writing down our opportunities, whether it's speaking at a conference or, or starting work and bringing in the files and starting a matter, anywhere we need a person to say, yes, that's an opportunity. We need to write those down, get them out of our head, know which step we're on, and that tells us what action we can take next. The second piece, managing our relationships, is just really simple. Writing down the eight or 10 relationships that are most important to your future success, We've got seven steps there that go from target all the way to the person's actively uh, giving us referrals. They're a raving fan of sorts. And those seven steps tell you when you you write down your list of eight or 10 folks, you know where you're at on those seven steps and you write down what's next to deepen our relationship to be more helpful. That gets your top relationships out of your head. We have so many clients like stick that on their wall, look at those relationships all the time. And these are the people that they want to invest in. And then the third piece is managing ourselves. And that's super simple. It's just taking 15 minutes once a week, same time every week. Habits are important to be at the same time all the time. Same time every week. I do it at four o'clock on Fridays. And that's to take a look at the opportunities, take a look at the relationships, make any updates, figure out what the next step is, and then pick the three most important things we can do that week to move either an opportunity or relationship forward. And you just do three things that next week. If you want to do 20, great, but do these three first. We call those most important things or MIT. So I know we got to close out, but manage your opportunities, manage your relationships, and most importantly, manage yourself. And if you do that, three things a week, 150 or so a year of your highest big impact items and business will start coming in.
0: So it's, so it's really the, the more system, managing opportunities relationship and selves m-o-r-s oh wow i like it have that that's yours right. i love it we're
2: gonna,
1: we're gonna add more's value i
0: don't know there's something really good here for independent film production from a, a legal business perspective the three things that you can't screw up and i'm using like g-rated words today. But you know what I'm saying in the film industry we might use a, an f-bomb for that. But what are the three things you can't screw up absolutely that are important from you know between the between the two of you what do you what do you think comes out on top? I want to hang
3: to the the scenario
0: you gave me of a potential uh, true life
3: story type of scenario when someone gets involved. The Reason I asked earlier on why did, did did she give up final cut rights is because final cut rights have to be given to the distributor.
0: They're going to require them right. or it's or it's dead project yep. is dead so that's a good one so final cut rights no matter what the project is you have to reserve them to the production studio that owns the rights i mean maybe maybe bundle that i don't know and you guys tell me what you think but i number one thing is own all of the rights own all to the rights. everything sure. copyrights cut rights something that came up at, at my panel last year were screen credits like you know make sure you've pre-negotiated those apparently one of these uh one of these films that ended up at sundance last year the one of the Producers was like, yeah, and we had a huge fight over who got to be screen credit by themselves a and who card, had to share single, single right, cards. Right. It was a huge deal and apparently yeah, yeah. delayed distribution of the film because the, the the fairly famous actors actually that we're talking about that were in this film, ones that I've heard of, which means they must sure, be sort of sure. famous because yeah. I know no one, um, but that held up the whole thing. So I think every, I guess, make sure every I is dotted and T is crossed with respect to rights. And then a rights Bible, that's the other thing I've run into, right? Where in the background, like there's a hurt sign or something, oh, and right. you know somebody's getting stabbed in front of it or something. You kind of have to work out those things. So own all of the rights and clear all of your IP. Is that one big bundley thing? Um,
3: I would say is that two bundling. That's one A and one B. Okay, we're to bundle them. <laughs> all
0: right, so that's one and two maybe. So what's so one is own all of the rights, and then what's two? Own all of the final cut rights and copyrights. What's two? Sure, clearance.
3: Well, clearances certainly, yeah, because you know but you maybe, were talking about earlier, own all the rights. Um, uh, when I was uh, in-house counsel at National Geographic, I was director of business and legal affairs there. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, well, you know, it's well known that but uh, lemurs always give you release. Lemurs,
0: right? Lemurs but always give you release. Only <laughs> lemurs, no,
3: those are the easy ones. The uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the contracts say <laughs> no, pandas were designed. i <laughs> <No. laughs> You will put oh, there in
0: China, you will deliver it's a, us a
3: project that has nothing but uh, wholly owned rights. Right. Well, inevitably, the producer is going to stick in some acquired footage or some acquired music instead of original music or right. original footage. Yep. Um. And so there's a whole uh, there's a whole clearance process for that. But yes, clearances. And, uh, you know, if, if you if you have a movie and you want to distribute the movie in perpetuity and you enter into a distribution contract for the distribution, of that movie in perpetuity but your acquired footage rights or your acquired music rights only have a 10-year license, oh. then uh, that can mess things up. So you also have to have the rights tracking. Uh,
0: okay. So maybe that's So 1A is own all of the rights. 1B, one, <laughs> one B, what'd you say 1? One? 1 is own one. all of the rights. What? 2 is clear all of the rights and have the up. So what's 3? What's our big third, Mikhail? We'll, three. we'll call on you. What's the most important thing? From You've produced other films. You've been at, you're an attorney. What do you think is the, third most important thing to do as a producer, not from a
4: creative perspective, but from a, here's the thing you can't screw up. Yeah, I would, and I would say it, it, it kind of feeds into what you guys have said already, mm-hmm. but as a general thing mm-hmm. for people, and I'm saying this because most people who do this obviously aren't attorneys and don't have a background in right, sure. Is just make sure every piece of paperwork from the absolute beginning mm-hmm. is completely tied up and totally okay. nailed down and you've got it totally sorted. It kind of, it's a broad one. I know I'm cheating a little bit by encompassing everything. But make
0: sure you do everything right. Make sure everything right.
4: But I can't overstate enough because, and people don't appreciate it. And it comes down, to, as you said, I was actually going to pick up a little bit on clearances, but as part of it, scoring, mm-hmm. really important. Any songs you use, really yep. important. As you say, any background that you've got in there, any extras, anyone that happens to be walking past, anyone that happens to go and do it. I have a story. I had a client, a band in DC
0: was my client and this huge Hollywood production films trailer comes out on TV. It's like on TV and at the end of films. And it's, you'll, you'll know the film. I don't know if I can say it because we settled. Um, but they watched one of the band members watched the trailer and it was their song. And they had, they had an agent who was an unlicensed, not really an agent, who had sold the rights to their music to this company without the band's permission oh, wow. and paid them nothing on it. And it was like... It, big enough that it would you know, $10,000, $20,000 sale for trailer credit, right? And they found out because they saw it on TV. So when you say own all the rights, that studio was actually in trouble because the agent didn't have the right to do that and they didn't check with the copyright holders and the agent didn't. So sort of interesting, but that was a big studio that messed that up. We've shut down film productions for Sony for a sweater, Oh wow. for, for a, a Christmas sweater. Right. And Sony was like, you know... The production company said they had the rights. They just pointed the finger, and then we went to that production company, and they didn't. But well, anyway, you know, the so, Hangover
4: Two got in trouble um, as a movie. I think it's of the public domain. They got no. The Hangover One, I think, got in trouble because um, there was Mike Tyson's. Mike Tyson shows up in the Hangover as a cameo. Yes, that's right. And got got tattoo. In his tattoo. His no, tattoo. That was really a big awesome. case. Yeah, they didn't right?
0: have the rights to his right. tattoo. The tattoo artist. Yeah.
3: And, yeah. and let's say, and it doesn't really matter. I do to emphasize. It doesn't really matter if the, if the litigant, the plaintiff that brings the cases like that wins or loses. The fact yeah. is, is that they've interrupted okay. something and it's costing a lot of people money. And so, so clear that out. You know, it's not a matter really sometimes of winning or losing. Yeah. It's the fact that you're in litigation at all.
0: And I'll tell you guys what movie the sweater one was when we're not on camera, <laughs> but you'll be kind of surprised. Yeah. Well, same with the music ones. Just interesting what yeah. rights that even huge studios screw up. So, yeah. so I, guess, I guess really yours, and I think I, I, I agree. I always tell people, you can't go backwards and get this stuff done. You can't finish production, go to distribution, say, oh, right. We need to get the copyright on that. We need to get the music clearance on that after it's done. You have to get it before you put it in. Yeah. That's not good for
3: um, you. You don't, you don't want to do so, that. So, I guess early on. Tom, just to reiterate now, let's go through the one through three to make sure we have these rights worked out, right? The, The three takeaways. One, clear all the rights.
5: Make sure your rights are cleared, right? Okay. Two, own all rights.
4: And three, Get all the paperwork in order right at the beginning, and keep it in order. But this, I know, it, it sounds obvious. Much more
6: exciting than that? I, don't,
4: I, well, I don't know. One, this two, one, three. Well, I want some exciting. points. I don't no. know. The third of a trilogy is always a bit of a, f- a flop, isn't it? It's tricky. No, so it depends. I, 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 that one. I mean, no, we, we can I, make um, it more exciting. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, look, dot
0: I, your eyes and cross your T's. Yeah. I, mean, or I dot look. your T's and cross your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Mean,
4: just do both. I mean, look, what, what I could say is, if you want or to you do something diverge from that, and you want to, if you want to take something separate, which is a bit more specific. I would say make sure that you have all of your performers uh, aligned exactly contractually from the beginning and at the end. Because when you're shooting, and again, this always happens, you always shoot and stuff goes wrong and there's a bit of a delay or there's an issue or someone shows up and they don't behave the way you thought they were going to behave or you had something like that. And the actors will turn up and people who, who make any kind of film or theater or anything like that will know that people don't, it's not everyone shows up for a month beforehand, hangs out or get on really well and then you do it. People will turn up three quarters of the way through. Absolutely. They'll be there for two days and they'll be in. And when you do a short film or an indie film, sometimes they're there for a day and they come in and like, we need them for, we have four hours to actually get stuff with them and you do it. And if things aren't aligned and it's not tied up and it does that and you lose that time, then you lose that shot. And, right.
3: and when you say things like that to me, in the back of my mind, I'm going, OK, actors on set two days. That means you had a letter of intent earlier and the letter of intent doesn't suffice. You have to have an actual agreement in place. And The investor won't put money in until there's a letter of intent in place. It has to be binding. The actor doesn't want to sign a binding contract unless you have money in an escrow. I mean, there's a, catch whole, 22. There's a whole litany a catch of things 22. Behind, yeah. these, behind these statements that you're making. The huge leverage involved. And yeah. uh, it's a complex business, but you know what? It can be overdone. It's overdone. It's overcome every day. Infinite filmmakers are great, usually very savvy people, but they need good
4: support as well. Yeah, no, you do. And I go not to overpromote so the, the law firm, but I would say, and I always say this in every business endeavor, anyone that's doing any of my friends, I'm always like, you, you know, you can do a certain amount by yourself, you can research things, you can get friends and stuff. Yeah. But it comes to a point where you need to actually just stump up and pay it. And fees for people like lawyers or other consultants that are giving that advice is worth it in the long so run. So
0: if I'm a candidate and I'm watching the Black Letter podcast and you, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian, just generally as a candidate, what are the three, if we could boil these, these 30 or 40 things we talked about, what are the three major things as a candidate um, that, that I should take away from the show? You got to be able to raise money. Raise money. You got to have a good authentic message. Message. And you got to have the right people working for so you. So money, people, and message. That's right. Those Absolutely. are the three takeaways uh, today. And I, I think, I mean, I think you've covered everything I can that I wanted to know. I know more now than I did certainly an hour yeah. ago about uh, campaigns and finance. And gosh, just learned a lot. And I'll... Yeah. So, John, so three big takeaways again are uh, you've got to have the right people, you've got to have the right message, and you've got to be able to raise money. That's right. All right. So, you heard that. John Whitbeck, former Republican uh, Party Chair, Republican Party of Virginia Chair, and Republican National Committee member. Is that what it was? Absolutely. That's right. And candidate for office. And now the CEO, the principal of Strat Poly, political consulting for three big takeaways then for for if I'm a corporate counsel managing immigration for my company or if I'm a foreign company looking to bring people in what are the three simple major things about immigration the first one i get i think i have is the us is trying to keep you yeah. out yeah just start with that presumption Absolutely. and work from there so that's the first big takeaway what what would be takeaway number 2
6: takeaway the uh You know, business planning slash paperwork. Make sure that all your paperwork is in order. If you've had any communication, any communication whatsoever Mm -hmm. with USCIS, please share with your attorney because that's going to dictate the strategy. Gotcha. That could limit you in some ways. That could provide numerous opportunities for you in ways but you've got to keep a hold. So,
0: second takeaway is strategic. Strategic. You have absolutely. to be strategic. So, first, the U.S. is trying to keep you out. Second, you have to be extremely strategic with immigration. Yeah, so, that means paperwork, planning, talking to an immigration attorney before you launch yeah. yourself at USCIS, <laughs> yes. right? And then, yeah. so, what's our third big takeaway? Well, what's the, the best the, things the, you the, can the, just remember?
6: The, the most important thing for me uh, it, when I, I get with a client, one of the things is my human rights background has allowed me to to really... Enter client relationships is this, you know, on a, on a more personal level. The, these aren't just clients and you know file numbers. These are real people, and that's what I grew up with. And what I say to them is, whether it's me or another attorney that you trust, please share everything So it's very them. personal. It's very personal. Immigration it, is
0: not is only successful if you're personal and able to share with your attorney.
6: Little things mean a lot in immigration. If you've had a uh, an arrest record, if you have children, if you've been in the United States before, if you've been in the United States out of status before. It, all these little things can mean a whole different But you can strategy. deal with it
0: if you know about it. You know about it.
6: Okay. You you, you know what because today uh you know it, it, for two years ago, if you submitted a petition, any petition, you got a receipt in seven days. Last year, it was fourteen days. This year, it's over
0: sixty. Wow! So, so there are the process is slow. There are eight point
6: nine million petitions sent in every year. There are sixteen thousand employees in USCIS, which means that that's about four hundred and fifty. Uh, petitions for every employee. And not, not all of them all are employees looking at, you. Look at the petitions and, and, and not all of them, you know, that's, that's on a, on a 365
0: right. uh, day year. And this isn't the most favorable administration for immigration. No. Like, absolutely. let's just put it out there. Absolutely. It's not the easiest place. Abs- it's the best time to have a lawyer who spent 30 years doing this. <laughs>
6: absolutely. Right. So if you, you know, if, if, if if you find out something halfway through the process, it may mean starting over and giving the delays, uh, you could turn a two-year two wait into a four-year wait. Gotcha. Which hurts
0: so everybody, the company, everybody, the person exactly, emigrating or not immigrating. Exactly. So three big takeaways then. First, the U.S. is trying to keep you out. Be strategic. Make sure you communicate with your attorney. And third, disclose everything to your attorney and or it's going to get you, it's going to bite you in the end. Big question for you guys. And-, and taken up a lot of your morning with, with mics and cameras and time. I appreciate all the time. Well, what are the three most important things? I guess I'll start with with Royce. What are the three most important things as GC, as a general counsel, that you would say to either another general counsel or your outside counsel that they should know about you and how you operate as a, as a general counsel?
2: Again, I guess I go back to just uh, the focus on Salenis as a company and our focus on customers. Uh, and, the, and our, you know, our, our sole purpose is to, you know, solve somebody's problems. Uh, and so, uh, our commercial team, um, and the rest of the company are focused on solving customer problems that manifest in different ways, sometimes more directly, uh, or sometimes more indirectly, uh, than maybe somebody on the front lines, uh, like the commercial team, but the, But the mindset has got to be the same at the level of uh, support organizations like like legal. And and again, so we're partnering to help um, our internal customers and clients um, focus on solving problems for our external customers and in the process, uh, protecting our assets uh, because we do have uh, shareholders uh, to whom we have a responsibility. Uh, And so that's, that's important to us as well. But for me, it's, you know, make sure that the, the business strategy leads, um, whether it's um, IP or any other strategy, it's got to be the business strategy and not the other way around. And so okay. it's just that simple.
0: So if I could summarize it and then you can correct me, it sounds like the first thing and probably good advice for any interface with a company as an outside counsel is that you have to understand what the company's mission is. And then you as an outside counsel have to align with the company's mission before anything else it's not solving a legal problem it's solving the company's problem
2: yes and in order to do that you have to know the company and you need to know the people and so um, connecting with the people in a very personal way and understanding our business challenges and our priorities for the year um, we talk with our outside counsel about that so that they understand it Makes because sense. we need them aligned with with where we're going and so having to uh i need a partner who understands that and is on on board with that and so that understands what you make who your customers are and where we're going tomorrow yep where we are today and where we're going tomorrow and what's important to us. And so for right now, for you, as GC, it's
0: business case leads everything you do. Uh,
2: that's right. And it's up to us as a legal department and a legal function to make sure that outside counsel understands that as we're um, you know, solving gotcha. issues and solving problems and helping to make money, maybe even uh, becoming a profit center you know, in terms of monetizing IP. But we haven't, got, we haven't gotten into that. We probably don't have time for that. But uh, I can
0: talk to you about it, though. We do some of that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we know how to do that very well. So, John, what about you? What As the CEO and president of the company, and you know you travel a lot, 120 countries, and you have all this stuff going on, what's the most important thing that you would say to either your GC, who's right here, in terms of what they should, they should think about as a GC generally, and you can make it more generic, or to somebody else who's in a position like yours? Like, What do you think you would say to them and say, well, this is what I think the most important thing is about Running our company, the single most important thing or the two most important things.
7: Well, when I think about running the company, and I could talk about, you know, what, you know, how Royce and I maybe work together, but I think about running the company, I try to do two or three things. We really are trying to create the right culture here. Right. Because if you have the right culture, then, you know, your employees are engaged. uh, They're really helping you drive what you want to drive. So creating the right employee experience is important to us. So we've built a culture. We talk about it. It's about people, performance, and results. Okay. And we, we drive that culture through our employee survey. Uh, and we tell people, hey, look, you may be in 120 countries. We'd like to come have a, a sit-down session with you on a regular basis, but we can't do that. So use the employee survey to give us feedback. And then whether it's the legal team or the finance team, then they can, they can take that feedback and go try to make your experience better. So, working on the company culture is important to us. And then working conversely on the customer experience, right? How do we make sure our customer has the right experience from us every time? Okay, so I work on that a lot employee experience, customer experience. And then, you know, what I try to do with our functions, whether it's legal or finance or HR, is align them to the business strategy, right? Because you really can't have a function that doesn't align. Right. And so we really work hard on alignment to make sure that, you know, if we're going to spend $50 million a year on technology development, that our IP strategies align to the business priorities, as an example. Okay.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, So talk to me a little bit about how you two work together as a kind of the top of the company and dealing with legal and,
7: and the business case. And obviously you understand the business case, but how do you guys I'll start together? with, you know, what we have is we have an executive committee. Okay. So it really involves, we have two business presidents. Uh, we have Royce and we have the uh, CFO and the leader of HR. And we meet on a monthly basis. And whether it's um, sometimes not so nice issues to have to deal with, Right. Uh, or, uh, or how we're going to invest and grow and where we're going to spend our money. And, you know, so we meet as a team once a month and talk about that. And that's kind of how we lead the company is with an executive committee. Okay. And what is that? A informal meetings? You guys
0: are no, in conference person.
7: room. So you're... yeah, we're here in person. Okay. Mostly, mostly
2: with them. And it's formal. Yeah. A
7: for, so a formal business meeting. Yeah. And it's usually like a half a day and we have a variety of topics. Like I said, sometimes they're good topics, sometimes they're not so good topics. Right? Uh, that uh, that we have to go deal with, and that's what we try to do. Is it gives you a perspective, right? Because everybody's got a perspective, and it usually allows you to end up with the right answer. Excellent. Is there anything else you guys
0: would like to say to the the podcast listening audience that you'd like to share about your company or anything that I've left off?
7: One of the things we're really focused on is. You know, to grow a business, Mm -hmm. you have to think about like, what's your strategy? Ours is to kind of think about these market trends. Right. So, you know, things are happening fast. Like, you would not have thought like three years ago that sustainability was going to change the business environment, but it's going to. It already is. There now are funds that can only invest in sustainable companies. And so, young people are changing the world in a much faster way than ever happened before because of social media, because communication channels, because of all this stuff. So we're really focused on how do we tell our sustainability story? And, uh, you know, we have two ways to address that. One is, are we a good corporate citizen? Do we do the right thing in the communities where we operate? And we do. The second thing would be, do we do the right thing with our facilities? You know, air emissions, water emissions, you know, those kind of things. But most importantly, it's what we do for our customers, because these customers have big facilities uh, that consume a huge amount of energy, water, resources, and our ability to help them change their CO2 footprint, drive a more sustainable solution is really important to them. And they are selecting suppliers, investment funds are selecting will they invest all on this concept of sustainability, I think, driven by young people. They actually read, you know, the what's in a product, make their decisions on what they'll buy by what's in a product. Yeah. And I think it's going to have a really pro, you know, profound impact on business. So that's one of your corporate core values, it
0: sounds like, is that you're driving sustainability for your customers because that's your customers' need. Yes. They need to be sustainable as well because that's the, just how the world is yeah. trending. Um, fantastic. Bruce, if you could uh, say just kind of as a closing thing, if you could tell somebody about to launch into a business like Quick Fee, not necessarily, obviously, nobody hopefully will, will come along and swipe your business model away. It sounds like you're the 800-pound gorilla right now. But if you could give advice to an entrepreneur, what would be the, you know, the couple things, two, one, two, three things you would say, you know, think this, do this. I mean, you said curiosity. I assume that's top up of your list. But if you're giving advice to somebody else.
8: Now, yeah. So curiosity is like an attribute. If you're giving advice on what an entrepreneur should do at the time that they're starting out, number one, right. determine how much cash you think you need to start and make sure you've got twice that amount of money because it will cost more than you think and take longer than you think to achieve the success you try to achieve. Number two, get good advice from an attorney and a CPA. Find an attorney that you can get along with, find a CPA that you can get along with. Uh, I think Tom, uh, most people listening, any attorney listening would know the most expensive thing you can buy is cheap advice. So I would say to any entrepreneur, get good advice at the start. Pay good money for good advice from an attorney and from a CPA. And thirdly, be prepared to pivot. If something's not working, accept the brutal facts that it's not working and try something else. And keep changing your model. Keep listening to the handful of early customers you've got until you've got something that has mass scale or mass scalability to get true success.
0: So I guess the, the three big takeaways I'm getting from everything you've said, George and Robert, is the first, I think, it's kind of like location, location, location. It's um, relationship, relationship, relationship. It seems like that in everything you said, partnering with your clients, partnering with the attorneys, partnering, making sure that you're kind of in lockstep with their goals because you're going into a venture together. So the right. biggest takeaway is that relationship drives all. Um, and then the second takeaway is that it's important for a banker as a partner to, I guess, um, understand the marketplace and have the resources to be able to understand the marketplace and help the client. And then uh, third takeaway that I'm getting from our conversation uh, is that there are, I guess, um, other, op- other banks out there that might not focus on a relationship that might uh, have slightly better rates. so I guess at the end of the day, you have to figure out what you value the most long term. Uh, right. In the, so, is, is that right, or do you guys have a what? What, Robert, you want to amend I, my my third I, takeaway? I, I or it, amend it my important. first. I mean, it.
5: No, I, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. It's each individual person has to assess what's best for them and what's most important. There's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of uh, you know there are lenders. There are Different places you can go. There's different sellers, and do I want to pay more to be in downtown Arlington than I do in Ashburn than I do in Purcellville because you're further away? Do I want to pay a higher rate to Bank X, a lower rate, not worry about you know the growth with it, cover that in? You know, each individual person has to assess what are the things important and to can them.
0: Can you help them do that? Can George right. and, and, and Robert, and I can think, you guys, and I think you guys do, do that
5: for clients? absolutely and you know i just as i know sandy spring has a a long thing of of attorneys and we work with a lot of banks we work with borrowers part of it is getting that right fit and that that's where it's important and to george's point where he said that you know we 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 want you to succeed right you know if, if the bank is if the underwriting and the relationship is right the institutional knowledge is going to say when you come in i want to buy this building here can i borrow some money to do so that might not work that's not we're we're running that through what we've seen and i don't know that that's going to work for us it may work for someone else and and we may be able to help you find those people but you know there's there's a lot of knowledge in this and i think everybody should take advantage of that sure. because you know the if, if you go to a bank and they've made 10,000 loans, you probably haven't borrowed on 10,000 loans, but they've seen the ones that work and that's true across the so board.
0: That. So, so really, then I'm going to amend my three R's. It's relationship, resources, and then the rationale, right? The rationale behind the decision. So those, those seem to be the three things that you guys drive at. You can help with the rationale and help the client make the decisions. Um, you have the resources to do so, especially being the market leader. And then third, the relationship drives all of these things. If we could just say there are just three things you should remember about non-competes in COVID, what are those three big highlight things, I, the three takeaways? I'll walk away from here, I want to remember X, Y, and Z. I'll
9: let David take a crack at the three first.
0: <laughs> or take, David, why don't you take a crack at the biggest number one for you? And Ben, you do the biggest number one for you. And then maybe that we can agree uh, on number three.
9: <laughs> I mean, I think uh, the biggest one is...
0: That we don't know what we don't know, and we don't know what the courts will do with this new state of facts.
9: So it's, we can't really necessarily rely on some of the old court judgments and decisions that have come before because the situation is rapidly evolving. And this is such a fact-specific inquiry that it could change the outcome of some cases. So uh, don't necessarily rely on the outcome that your lawyer told you would be the case a year or two years ago because it's, it's changing so fast.
0: Gotcha. So I'm going to summarize your statement into an easy takeaway for our listeners. So when it comes to non-competes and our historical experience, the past is prologue. Remember that it's a new day and new age, and you have to evaluate the non-competes in the context of our current circumstances, including COVID-19. I think that's what you said. So that's the big number one. And I think that's a good theme for COVID non-compete day at Black Letter podcast. Ben, what's your big number one, or if that was your big number one, what's your number two? I
9: would say you really need to have legal help with this. Whether you're an employee looking at that employment contract, don't be so excited about the job that you're just going to pretend that 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 restrictive covenant isn't there. Get some legal help to to see what it means and whether it's reasonable. Um, It's probably not something that you want to try to negotiate with your employer. Virginia is an at-will state, so an employer might either Either decide not to. Uh, there's no penalty on, on employers in Virginia for withdrawing offers of employment. And so you you want to be careful at how you address that and whether it's something you really need to be thinking about. Uh, employers really want to be thinking about, about drawing those restrictive covenants narrowly wherever they are. One reason you want to talk to an attorney, if regardless of whether you're an employee or an employer, is that jurisdictions handle this issue differently. So in Virginia, if you have a restrictive covenant, that is drawn too broadly, either in terms of geography or area or duration, well that, that'll wax out the whole restrictive covenant. Yeah. courts will bounce the whole thing. But if you're in Texas, the Texas will have a savings statute that tells a court that says, you know, say that there's a restrictive covenant that says an employee can't do something for a year in a 500 mile geographic area. And courts say, well, you know, 500 miles is extreme but if it were 100 miles, then that would be a legitimate interest. So the savings statute in Texas will let a court read that restrictive covenant as applying to the 100 miles. And uh, the key thing behind that is, is that if an employee, and employer have agreed on a restrictive covenant and, and met, come to a meeting of the minds on 500 miles, then they would have agreed on the 100 miles as well because it's within that. Um, Saving statute doesn't allow a court or anybody else to read an additional restriction.
0: What you're saying is that it, you've got to be strategic. So talk to legal counsel, because not only as David's number, his statement, his first takeaway is the times modify what we do with non-competes. And it's all very contextual. And your statement is it's also very strategic. So non-competes are contextual in this day and age with COVID. And non-competes are always very strategic, whether it's COVID-19 or before or after COVID-19. You've got to understand that every state has slightly different laws, way they read non-competes, and you can be very strategic about them and do these the right way, whether an employee or an employer to manage getting out of a non-compete, getting it, creating non-competes for your employees, either one. So the two big things are context and strategy. And so I think the third thing that, that I would add, hearing from you guys, Just combining what you've said, the big common sense, and it's almost, sometimes that gets left out of legal arguments, but if you have an employee, I think, in my view, from hearing from you guys, if they haven't taken a lot and there's not a lot of value, don't enforce a non-compete simply because you have the right. Use common sense. You're probably going to spend more money in legal fees than you're ever going to get in business value. If that's not the case and you're going to, the business value calculus is higher, apply common sense. So apply context strategy and common sense to enforcement of non-competes in the time of COVID. I think that's what we've got. I think it'll be interesting to see what employers say when we ask them questions about how they think about non-competes right now and what their current knowledge is. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more black letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.